We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Pacer Nation, before we get started, I just want to let you guys know, on today's show, we're going to be joined by Mark Schindler for the first 45 minutes to talk about the current state of the Indiana Pacers, the starting five, what we can expect under Nate Bjorgren, if we can expect anything, and then we're going to discuss our gut feeling versus what our head's telling us in, in terms of what the Pacers will do this offseason with the draft being just 10 days away. And we're also going to look at some guys the Pacers could look at in the second round, what kind of players they need in the second round, if you even worry about need or you just go best player available. But we talk a lot of different scenarios where we see the Pacers finishing out this season, going up against some of the upper echelon teams of the Eastern Conference, what their ceiling and what their floor is and all that. But then in the second half of the show, I'm going to be joined by David Grubb from the Bird Rights covering the New Orleans Pelicans. And we're going to talk a lot about Drew Holiday and we're going to throw out some different trade ideas just, you know, kind of to pick his brain. See what the Pelicans might want in return for a guy like Drew Holiday. And if the Pacers have a package that's even worthy of, of sending an offer in. You know, if the Pacers could make a deal, would it work? What kind of deal would that be? And, and David Grubb is a great friend of the show. He had a lot of great things to say about some of the Pacer players and how they would fit with this current New Orleans team. So I think you're going to like that. And yeah, so that'll be the last 35-ish minutes of the show, so a little bit longer of an episode today, but I wanted to let you guys know what to expect when you jump on today's show. Hope you guys sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Make sure you give us a rating and a review, subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and let us know by leaving us a rating and a review what you think of the show. Thank you so much. Let's get to our podcast. All right, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And we're here for our part two conversation that we started on Thursday. Uh, it's Mark Schindler. Mark, thanks again for coming back on, man. Alex, you keep bringing me back, so I must be doing something right. How are you doing today, man? Well, I just I just enjoy our conversations. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in Indianapolis. I'm sure it's nice in Ohio, too, right? 
Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been really nice to play though, much to my chagrin. My dog has been uh, just pleading with me to go outside. We've already gone on like five blocks today, gone to the oh, multiple times. So, and it's not even four o'clock yet. So, uh, <laughs> I, I am I am behind on the work that I have to get done today. But uh, I was happy to do this pod. Absolutely. Well, Moose did make an appearance in our last episode. We'll see if he does join us I again. I already have him in the crate today, so he should not be he should not be in this episode. <laughs> We'll see what happens. Moose loves to come on setting the pace. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll get started here. So I know last episode we were talking a little bit about, you know, the cap situation and what we think the Pacers will do going forward. You know, we talked a lot about Turner and, and uh, Drew Holiday. We're going to have David Grubb on in the second uh, segment of this podcast to discuss, you know, New Orleans' interest in Miles Turner, if a, if a trade makes sense, if they would, you know, do a trade for Miles Turner. So that's going to be an interesting conversation with, with David Grubb. But when we get started here, I'm just I'm t- I'm talking to you, Mark, and it seems to me as if everybody keeps saying continuity is is the key for this upcoming season. Do you think the Pacers just run it back? Um, yeah, I mean I think they're going to. It really seems like I don't know if you saw Jay Michaels' tweet today, but um, I think it was Ian Begley put out over the weekend that uh, the Knicks, which we'd already known this, but he was kind of confirming it again, bringing it back up that he's hearing it still. Uh, Nick's brass is like pretty determined to to go after Justin Holiday this summer, um, summer, gosh, uh, winter. And uh, Jay basically confirmed that, um, you know, but also mentioned that um, it's going to take a lot for him to get pride from Indiana as uh, currently the Pacers are his option number one, I think was the exact term on that. Um, so I think it's interesting because especially looking at the cap, I wrote a piece on this, um, gosh, two weeks ago now, I think about how it's going to be very difficult to keep Justin Holiday because we still don't know what the tax line is going to be set out yet. I know that the NBA salary cap is going to be the same as last year at 109. So I, but, but the tax line hasn't been set yet. If it's at 132, I think it's almost impossible to keep Drew Holiday. I mean, no, not Drew, Jesus. Um, it's almost going to be impossible <laughs> to keep Justin if they set the tax line at 132. Um, but if it's at 139, it's still going to be hard to keep him, but it's doable. So I think that's a lot of the continuity for next year would be whether or not the team does keep Justin um, and he, he does resign. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can kind of go from there, but I think uh, overall my opinion on whether or not the Pacers should run it back. I think not. I talked about this with Derek Kramer um, a couple days ago and, and just put the pot out today. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think there's such a big opportunity for the Pacers to really um, like I, I think the way I look at it, it it'd almost be like, um, you know, you're having a killer game at the plate. Um, pitchers just can't seem to throw anything that you can't hit. And then you decide to walk uh, in the ninth inning just because the score's up. Um, I mean, I think the Pacers have an opportunity to really do something interesting this summer. And they have already um, in, in all of the changes that they've made. I mean, they've made changes in the front office now as well. Um, I don't know. I just don't see the point in, in re reattacking with this team. And, and maybe that's unfair to the guys on the roster right now, but I just think we already have enough data points to know where they're at. So I'm very much so on board with maybe making a move or two that, that, that does something interesting, um, something funky. Cause I think everything's just such a weird point right now. Um, I think maybe this is one of the chances that you have to, to really reset the course of your franchise and where you're going. And not that the paces are in a bad place, but, um, I, I don't know. I think that's just how I view it. But, um, yeah, we can definitely go from there. Yeah, so a couple of things here just to kind of get some reporting out from Jay Michael because you brought it up. Uh, he came out yesterday on, on Saturday afternoon and said that 
the Pacers were looking to make some, you know, front office hires with uh, Peter Dinwiddie, excuse me, moving on to Philadelphia. And they are going to hire Ted Wu, a senior cap manager from the league office. Uh, so I tried looking him up and there was like pretty much nothing except the LinkedIn account. And so not, not too much on him. I don't know if you have anything on him. You mentioned. I do not. I tried to do some digging as well. There's literally nothing on him. Yeah, so. nothing on him. Um, and then it was funny. Mark Monte said that Baino was going to be back in a player uh, development role as an assistant coach. And that's what Popeye Jones will be doing with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He just got hired. And then Mike, Jay Michael came out today and said, Baino is back with the Pacers and he stated to return to a front of the bench role, not behind the bench, which is what Mark Monte had reported. He said, I'm told by a league source. He's working out with Sabonis and Aaron Holiday in L.A. So I think that that's a sign. I mean, we know Sabonis will not be playing with um, their international team, Lithuania, this year as well because the season's turnaround is so quick. So, I mean, with, with, with Bano working out with Aaron Holiday and Domas Sabonis, I think that to me is a little telling of how the Pacers value those two guys going forward. I would be very shocked if Aaron Holiday is included in any trade this offseason. I think they're really high on him and want to see what he can do under Bjorgren. But when it comes back to the continuity thing, here's what I'll tell you. I really feel my head is saying they're not making any moves. They're not making any moves. They're staying. They're going to stay uh, with the same roster. It's going to be same continuity, but there's just something like, I don't know. I just have this gut feeling that there is a move that's going to be made and I'm not even sure what it is, but I just feel like in the pit of my stomach, they're going to pull the trigger on a move. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I feel, um, again, I don't want to say optimistic. I mean, I really do think this team is good. I, and when I, again, like I said, I mentioned with Derek Kramer yesterday, I mean, when looking at the potential outcomes that this team could take in the coming year, even if they just stick together, I mean, there's, there's like a 12 to, to like a 10 to 12 win gap. You know, you could look at the vast outcomes that they could have. They could be a borderline playoff team if things go wrong. Um, and they could be a top four seed if, if, if Vic comes back healthy and a couple guys take steps, which, I mean, that's, that's possible, you know? Um, but again, like, I think I, I would say that I'm, I'm cautious to say that no move will happen. I think everything we believe, I mean, everything we've seen should lead us to believe that nothing will happen. But at the same time, every time something has happened with the Pacers, it's been out of nowhere for the most part. Like, I mean, Paul, Paul George trade was the one trade that nobody had any idea about really. Um, and it came out of nowhere. The TJ Warren trade came pretty much out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I, I could bring up others, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's still very possible that a move could happen. And, and I mean, Kevin Pritchard and the front office are really good at not tipping their cap to anything that's in the works. Yeah. I and I mean, what, especially look at what happened with Nate Bjorkren. Yeah. I mean, Nate Bjorkren wasn't even on the short list and ended up being the one who's, who's hired. So I think, um, yeah, that's just kind of – I feel like that highlights enough that we really don't know exactly what the Pacers are, are thinking, uh, even though they're putting out some stuff. Yeah, and I mean a lot of stuff that's been coming out about Turner and been coming about out about uh, out about Oladipo. Cannot speak again today. <laughs> but out about Oladipo, it's all been, you know, other people talking about it. It's been Zach Lowe, Brian Windhorst, you know, Jared Weiss from The Athletic. I mean, stuff that's been reported for months, it's nothing new. It's just – Nobody knows what Vic's going to do because Vic, I mean, Vic's probably the one, his agent and his camp is probably trying to get his name out there to, to try to, you know, throw up his value because he wants an extension. He wants a lengthy extension and he wants a, you know, a high dollar extension as well, but he also wants to win. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a conundrum there because the Pacers 
with this current roster construction, they're not built for a championship right now. They're just not. They're a good team. They might be able to make it out of the first round, maybe the second. But I just, when I look at the the landscape of the rest, the rest of the Eastern Conference, I just don't see it. And I think that that's why I feel like in my gut, this Pacers organization, they're looking at things going forward. They probably feel the same way. Now, I don't know if this year puts a little bit of a, you know, a hole on things because of how fast the offseason will be. But I do think that this is something that they have to look at and, and really just evaluate this team and say, hey, we can only go so far. We can only reach, you know, such a, such a certain ceiling with this group of guys. How long are we going to continue to try to, you know, reach that ceiling? Because to me, I don't think that ceiling is anywhere close to a championship level team. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, it, it's something I wrestle with in my mind a lot. You know, I, I think this team from what we've seen, I, I agree. I mean, to, to be a championship team, uh, we've never seen a team without a true complete elite, you know, top tier option when it, win a championship. And you can look at the O four Pistons. And I think that's just, com- that's an, that's an outlier. You know, I think Ben Wallace, well, I, Ben Wallace was the best player on that team unequivocally. He's, top five defender of all time. So I think you look at that uh, on top of they, they had a little bit of playoff luck to help them out, but they just had an incredible, you know, well-rounded starting five, four, four all-star players, four all-NBA level players. That's not what the Pacers have. You know, the Pacers are a good team. They could be very good. You know, I, I really firmly believe they're a team that could win if, again, I mentioned if things fall right, they could win 55-plus games, and that wouldn't really surprise me. You know, that's if Vic's healthy – um, if maybe Domas takes a little bit of a step and TJ continues to flash some more. I mean, I think, I don't know if you'd agree with me. I think that's, that's definitely possible. Like that's in the realm of possibility for this team. But again, it goes back to the playoffs. Like um, you can pull out any number of really good regular season team that they didn't have in the playoffs. I mean, uh, the Atlanta Hawks in, in 14, 15 are one of my favorite teams of all time, 160 games, and they just didn't have the firepower in the playoffs. And that's not a, you know, a lot of people have taken that as an opportunity to, uh, kind of shred what they did. Um, but I think it's more a testament to what they did. You know, I mean, Paul Millsap was their leading scorer and best player that year. Paul Millsap is not good enough, even in his prime, to be the best player on a title team. And they they almost got there. So th- that's kind of how I feel about Indiana right now. They don't have a guy to get there. And I think that's okay. Like, I don't uh, – this is just my personal opinion. I don't think the team has to be a title team. Like, the, 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 the sheer reality is you have to have LeBron James – Kawhi Leonard or, you know, Anthony Davis, KD or Steph, or you're probably not going to make a title. Uh, And you could obviously bring up Miami, but again, KD was injured this year. Steph was injured this year. So that's, you know, an interesting wrench not to take away from Miami, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like right now, barring like an entire teardown of the roster, I just don't see the team getting there, at least not in the next year or two. I think anything's possible, but um, that's just how I view the outlook of this team right now. And I think, if they, I, I think there's a very reasonable, like, you, I don't want to say an expectation, but it's very reasonable to believe that this team could reach a, a second round or, or maybe a little bit more in the next year or two. Um, but that's just kind of where I'm at on that. I know a lot of Pacers fans feel differently and think that they should be a team that tanks and goes for a title, but I just, A, I don't think Indiana will ever do that. And I'm kind of okay with that. It's part of the reason why I fell in love with the Pacers when I was growing up. Um, and I just don't think that's the kind of organization. They're, they're too good to, to just strip their roster. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Well, yeah, they never tank. I mean, that's the thing. We look at this team. I mean, just take tanking out of your vocabulary. The Pacers will yeah. never tank. 
I mean, unless they sell the team, they get new ownership in there and they get a new, you know, voice that that's the only time it's going to happen. But as long as the Simons are in there, do not anticipate tanking ever. So, well, and uh, I, I would ask too, are you okay with that? Cause frankly, I yeah. am. I mean, there's, like, I, there's I don't times, have a problem with it. There's times when I see a guy like Luka Doncic, you know, what was he drafted third overall? And yep. I think to myself, man, that would have been awesome just to suffer one year to get a player that could be a franchise changing player. I mean, I'm a LeBron James is, you know, a totally a different subject, but I mean, Luka Doncic is just somebody that, you know, nobody thought he was going to be this great, this good, this fast. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, that's where I'm like, man, it'd be so awesome if they ever had that opportunity. But at the same time, it's like the Pacers, if they get that pick, would they hit on it or would they miss on it? Because how many times have, we've seen teams get a top pick and they're continually in the, in the lottery. I mean, Sacramento's always in the lottery for the most part. Minnesota continues to be in the lottery since Kevin Garnett's been out of there. So it's like New York as well. So it's just like these teams that are always in the lottery don't really seem to figure out a way to come out of that situation. They always get stuck trying to continue to rebuild. Oh, we got to trade for salary cap space. We can not sign free agents. And then we got to go out there and, and, and get these draft picks that aren't, you know, turning in anything great. So I think the Pacers, you, you got to go with the safe bet here because you're, you're in Indiana, you're a smaller market, you're, you're a team that's competing night in, night out. You've got a new coach, which I think is a little bit of a reason why they might not make any changes, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, because they want to let this coach do things. But I think when it comes to how you build a roster, the Pacers have done a pretty good job of trying to trade away that their more valuable assets right at the tail end of their careers. Like we saw the Danny Granger trade. Was it perfect? Mm-hmm. No, they took a risk, but Danny Granger really was never himself again. Same with Paul George. He forced situation. They got Oladipo and Sabonis back. Now Oladipo is kind of in that same scenario where he's uh, a little bit disgruntled. I mean, you can even go back to when Jalen Rose is traded for Ron Artest, Brad Miller, and that whole deal. Jalen Rose. That is one of the best deals of all time. Yeah. I was really thinking about this when I did a, when I did a pod with Mark Monteith this uh-huh. week, um, that I like looking back at that trade. I mean, Ron Artest was just a, a throw in because they didn't really feel like dealing with them anymore in Chicago. Like, I mean, you get two all-star players uh, in the same deal, but at least even, I don't think Brad was an all-star in Indiana. He wasn't until sack, but I mean, you get two starting level players in, in one deal for Jalen Rose at the tail end of his career. Pretty darn good. So. Yeah. And, and Jalen won it out because he was unhappy with Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. And basically gave Donnie Walsh the ultimatum, it's me or him. From from what I read in reports, there's a big article about it on ESPN uh, that's in the archives. So if you want to check that out, it's really a good read. I, I went back and read it about a month ago. And, and you just look at all these different moods. When they traded Jermaine O'Neal and got Roy Hibbert, it's just the Pacers have always kind of milked what they can out of their, of their present guys. And mm-hmm. they tend to flip them. And when they flip them, they usually get something in return. So similar to that J.O. trade for even though it was Roy Hibbert, it didn't feel like a lot. This kind of feels similar to me with what they could do with, you know, whether it's Oladipo or Turner or something like that, just because this is how I view this, this organization. They're a team that will make trades, but they usually like to keep their core guys together, win with their core guys. And when, when their core guys start to fizzle out, they'll start making moves and go in a new direction, but they try to capitalize on those without tanking and love it or hate it. Mark, I I thoroughly just enjoy watching the, the, the Pacers win throughout the regular season every single year. And you might get those times where you get a good core together like they did in the 90s and they have some nice Eastern Conference finals runs. 
and, and you really feel like this team is pretty close. Yeah. Well, and I think too, one thing that's interesting, the only, uh, the only real qualms I've had with any transactions that have been done over, you know, at least since I've been following really closely, I really, I, I, it's part of it is hindsight, you know, it was 2020. Um, but I think the Wesley Matthews trade in the end was kind of, uh, well, not trade, but signing Wesley Matthews. I, I get why you do it. But at the same time, I think bringing in Wesley Matthews really hindered the development of some guys on the roster. Like you, Aaron barely even played in that series against Boston. And I get, you know, bringing in Wesley Matthews was the idea of, okay, well, maybe we can do something in the playoffs. Um, I, I personally wasn't a huge fan of that just because I think, um, you know, I, again, like, I, I don't know, it's just small things. And, and then you could bring up, well, I mean, Wesley Matthews was part of the sign and trade for Malcolm, but um, yeah, it's really hard to find transactions to dislike that the Pacers have done. Yeah, I agree. So I, I want to take a step back here and just look at the Eastern Conference right now before we head into this craziness that's about to happen with the NBA draft and free agency in the next month. Looking at every team now as currently constructed, let's imagine, you know, that the, the Raptors retain Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet and they've got their core intact and, you know, you know Philly's got their core and, and Brooklyn's healthy. Where do you see this Pacers team finishing at right now? And how, I mean, what do you think their ceiling and their floor is? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think um, for me, the ceiling would be definitely, you know, I think they could be a, the three seed and that's if things really went right, you know, so that's um, in that theoretical, that's Vic comes back to, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to be 100%, but let's say he comes back to 95% of what he was and you can trust him to, to isolate at the end of a game um, in some scenarios, you know, um, or he's just able to be a, a real competent on-ball threat again while still not giving up anything on defense, not having the turnover problems he had in the bubble. Um, I mean, if barring injury, you know, I think that's a team that, that could be good enough to make it to the three seed. And, and I, I, again, I think you have to factor in that, you know, other teams are going to have injuries. Other teams are going to have weird things happen. Um, I think the, the, the floor for me, I mean, probably you, you have to say the seven seed. Right. I mean, because uh, right now Brooklyn was the seventh seed this year, Philly six, Miami five. Um, I mean, none of those teams are getting worse this offseason. Brooklyn's bringing back Kevin Durant uh, and a most likely healthy Kyrie Irving. I mean, I believe he's healthy from everything I know. Um, Philadelphia is probably going to get better, you know, addition by subtraction, um, barring injury again. I don't I actually am not sure if Ben Simmons is going to be ready for the season. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, Miami is probably going to be better considering that they have moves to make in free agency. Um, Boston is potentially going to get better. I, they really don't have a lot they can do in free agency, but I mean, they're a young group of guys that are really good and they had a deep playoff run. I think you could see Toronto dropping a little bit just because Marcus Saul is most likely gone now. Right. That's never really been confirmed. Um, Ibaka could leave in free agency, but even if, but let's say Ibaka is there still. Um, I mean, I think that team could, drop a little bit but then again how much does Siakam grow does Fred Van Vliet leave like I don't know so there's a lot up in the air with that too I am assuming Milwaukee's probably the one seed again just because I don't um I don't I don't think Brooklyn's gonna have a good enough season to retake I mean not retakes but to take like a top spot I don't think Miami's gonna do something to push my Milwaukee in the way that they play in their their group of players um, so, I mean, I guess from three to seven is where I see the team at. Cause I think Orlando is kind of the baseline where you're like, I don't, there's no real route where Orlando is going to be better than the Pacers unless 
Aaron Gordon turns into an all NBA player overnight, which we know that's, that's not going to happen. We've been waiting six years for it. I don't expect <laughs> it in year seven. Um, and that's not to besmirch him. He's a really good player, but I mean, Jonathan Isaac's going to be out all year. Um, they really, the, Evan Fournay might not be back. I mean, they're a, they're kind of a funky team right now. Uh, and I guess the only real wild card would be Washington. I mean, Washington, we don't know what John Wall is going to look like. Um, I guess they could do stuff in free agency. I don't know what, yeah. um, but I mean, the bottom of the conference is going to be a little bit more competitive. I think Chicago will be better because they actually are going to have an NBA coach now. Um, like I mentioned, Washington will be better. Charlotte is, they were a young team last year and they were actually pretty, they were better than their, their record in my opinion. Scrappy. Yeah, sure. they were one of my favorite teams to watch. Um, yeah, they were in so those, many games. That, that game when they, they came back from like 30 down to beat the Pacers was just gut-wrenching. Um, and then, I mean, Detroit's going to be bad. Cleveland is probably going to be bad too. But Atlanta could be a sneaky candidate for the A seed because they're going to have internal growth and they have a ton of cap space. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's how I look at it right now. I was really long-winded, but, I mean, that's just kind of going down the entire stretch, I think – you could really slot the Pacers in anywhere from, from like three to three to seven. Yeah. That's funny because it's exactly where I have them. I think that the, their floor is seven because I don't think any team in the Eastern conference below them is that much better than them. But I do yeah. think that Philadelphia, like you said, they could get better with doc and uh, Daryl Morey calling the shots. Uh, I, I think he'll be aggressive trying to balance yeah. that team out the correct way. You come back with uh, Miami. I think that even though they had a long, bubble they they've got a lot of momentum to grow on they've got a lot of young talent tyler hero does not need five months to rest he'll be fine uh jimmy butler might need some rest but i think bam out of will be fine uh it'll be interesting to see what they do with Dragic because i think he's a huge part of their success but you know mm-hmm. i mean I, I i don't think they're going to get worse they might stay the same um from what they did in the bubble but of course brooklyn boston toronto they're all going to be in there so to me it's like if indiana keeps the same intact as they learn a new system as they still try to figure out how to play with one another because they really haven't had much time together on the court with that starting five um, I think there could be some hiccups now it does depend on how the schedule looks which is one thing we really haven't talked about is the 72 game schedule who they play because if they're playing Detroit six or seven times out of the year in Cleveland six or seven times out of the year or whatever it's going to be to try to prevent the, um, the COVID spread and, and, and travel and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the Pacers might benefit where you're going to have teams like Atlanta, not Atlanta, excuse me, uh, Philadelphia playing Boston and Toronto and the Nets in that Atlantic division. They could be beaten up on each other, which could help the Pacers in the overall standings. But um, a little bit of a hot take here. I think Atlanta is going to get that eight seed this year. I really believe it. And I think Chicago and Washington are going to be right there at nine and 10. Charlotte to me is still a ways away. I, I think that Orlando is going to take a step back without Jonathan Isaac, but I just think that it, I think Atlanta is going to be aggressive and they're going to make some kind of splashy move to uh, better this roster and grow. But for as, for as far as the Pacer goes currently constructed, I mean, they could, they could get up to a three seed if everything clicks right. I'm just not sure. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I think realistically the Pacers are probably going to end up as the sixth seed, you know, yeah, I, that's um, what I said, but I think Philadelphia was my seventh when I said that, but I could see Philly just being a little bit better than them. I think Philly's going to end up a four seed this year. Um, okay, what if, you know, okay think, so give me your eight. Give me your one through eight then, real quick. Uh, I guess one through eight. I mean, I would just pick Milwaukee at the beginning. You know, I'm assuming they're coming back with the same roster, and you know, you can say whatever you want about how they played in the playoffs in the regular season. They're a dominant team. The way that they play works, um, and I, I would until I see them drop three games in a row in the regular season. I'm not expecting that to happen. 
Um, I think number two for me would probably be Boston because I think we saw um, Boston obviously ended up bettering Toronto. Um, I personally think Boston will be better than Miami moving forward until 2021 free agency. Um, And and even then, I mean, Boston could still – they have a ton of room for internal growth. Um, And their bench was – non-playable last year and that that's going to improve um I mean so I think it's kind of fluid but my top four would be like Milwaukee Boston um Miami and and then Philly and Toronto will probably be battling out for four and five and I guess Indiana my theoretical is you have like three tiers right so the top tier is probably going to be Milwaukee and then one B and one C would be uh Boston and, and, and like Philly um, or not Philly, gosh, I can't even speak, Boston and, and Miami. And then you have Philly, Toronto, uh, and Indy kind of all in that, that next tier. And I think Indy's probably like the not cool. I think Indy's closest to Toronto in that group because I where, think Toronto's going to take a step back next year. Where do you see Brooklyn in all this? Oh, my gosh. I'm, I meant Brooklyn in the top seed. I, I'm not top seed, top tier. That's what okay. I meant to say. Okay. Um, but I think they're going to be weird, though. I, I don't yeah. know because they're I'm just they're what's going to go on with their role players and everyone who's not KD and Kyrie is really murky to me. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of unsure, and we don't know what KD's going to look like coming back. I'm sure that he'll uh, still be like a top twenty player, but I don't know if he's going to be a top five player. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just kind of what like right now. If I had to pencil it down, it'd be like that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm just going to throw myself out there and give my give my list because I did tweet it a couple weeks ago, but I think I'm going to change it again just because it's what I do. But I didn't really uh, throw into uh, effect that, or yeah, throw into effect that you know Daryl Morey was going to be there with Philadelphia. So I'm the, I'm assuming he's going to do something with that roster, which makes me think they're going to be a little bit higher than I had them. I think I had them at seven, um, falling falling a little bit lower just because I don't like that makeup of that roster. And I'm not really sure where they're going. I think Doc Rivers is an, a good coach, but I think he's a bit overrated. Not a great coach like a lot of people think he is. I think he's a great voice and a great role model for the NBA and for the players. But I don't necessarily think he's X's and O's a great coach. He's good, though. He's good. Um, so for me right now, I'm going to go with, of course, Milwaukee, number one, because of Giannis, number two, Boston, three, Brooklyn, four, Miami, five. Um, I'm actually going to put Philadelphia at five, six, Toronto, seven, Indiana, and then eight, Atlanta that would be where I would have my my seeds uh put in right now before the off season and that's just assuming every team stays intact yeah I mean I think I still think Orlando will probably be the AC oh, I don't know I just it's just, is DJ Augustine gonna be there to bail out Markel Fultz <laughs> you know I what think I mean Markel, Markel looked good last year you know I think he's mm-hmm. gonna take a step forward as a player um Nikola Vucevic is really freaking good we people would realize that if they if they watched Orlando or more importantly if he didn't play in Orlando I think more people would realize that he's a top 35 player in the NBA um really good um I mean part of it was the system that Milwaukee was running but he was fantastic against Milwaukee um so I, I just think that they're too good to be any worse than than the eighth seed but they're not really good enough to be any higher than that. I mean, unless some like monumental things happen in, in their growth tracks, they could be like fighting for a spot with, with Indiana or, or, or maybe uh, the sixth seed or something. I don't know. Anything's possible, but um, I personally would, would say that there's just enough of a gap between where Atlanta was at, at last year and where I think they'll be. Cause I mean, Cam Reddish and Deandre Hunter are really nice players. I really like them moving forward. 
um, but not in their second year in the league. I don't think that they'll be ready to make that jump to the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, we got to think, too, the Pacers are going to get better. I mean, T.J. Warren, I'm assuming, is going to get better. I'm assuming DeMontis Sabonis is going to get better. Hopefully he recovers from that plantar fascia. Miles Turner, maybe with a new role, maybe with a new, um, you know, motive, a, a new different situation. He he could he could be better. Oladipo, hopefully he's better because I don't think he could be much worse than he was in the bubble. Brogdon, I'm still trying to get a feel out for Brogdon and how good I think he can be, what I think his ceiling is. Because to me, it's like I look at him and I think he's a really good player, but how good is he? And then I, I just question, like, is he the perfect point guard for the Pacers? I don't think so. I think he's a perfect shooting guard for this team going forward. I think if they could get a point guard – uh, next to him, that's a little bit more in control of things, a little bit, you know, the way that he can play off the ball more. Because I think Malcolm is best catch and shoot, guarding bigger guys. Going up against, you know, point guards like Kyrie's, like Kemba's, it is going to be a struggle for him. Okay, so here's my thing. Uh, and I think I've changed my tune on this a little bit over the last month or so. Look at the way that Miami ran their offense. Who was their point guard? It really wasn't Goran Dragic. really wasn't Kendrick Nunn. I mean, Jimmy Butler was was running a lot of their actions and sets, but everything went through Bam. Yeah. And I know that the way that they run things is a little, well, quite a bit different. They they ran with a lot more speed than than the Pacers did in the half court. Um, but I think you look at the the way the team is kind of assembled. If you have four guys who can handle the ball and and run some plays with the modest bonus, I mean, I, I think you don't really need a traditional point guard. I get what you're saying. I think the biggest thing for me is just you need Vic to be the guy that he was before the bubble because before the bubble he looked like he was actually a better playmaker than before um i think if you have both him and brogdon as kind of um combo guards you know because like guys who can both run plays they can do things out of actions that aren't getting the ball um i think that's ideal for the patients i'm not super set that they have to have a traditional point guard but i agree i mean there is somebody that, you, that has to have the ball down in crunch time and i think until victor oladipo is on that roster the ex- expectations that it's going to be him yeah, and I mean, he's got to be that guy because they don't have anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, T.J. Warren, maybe, but uh, just I don't think he can do it for a consistent amount of time. Yeah, so. I mean, so I think my final point on that is just, you know, if you have four guys who are capable, um, capable ball handlers around Domas, I think that there is enough playmaking there um, to be a high-level team. Do you think Miles fits in that category? Um, well, I see that's where we come into problems, right? I mean, like – you have see I, I'm thinking too much about the fact that trading models it like almost factors right into how I think about the team um, I mean like your ideal closing five and I guess we're going to see what happens with Nate and, and how he decides to run things I mean I guess you could say with three guys and, and Miles spotting up that's still really good um, but I, I guess like my the ideal world and kind of the way Miami runs things is having four guys who can all capably handle the ball around bam, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what opens up so much for their offense. And I know, you know, we're going to see some ways hopefully um, where the Pacers can do that too uh, with miles on the court. But again, I'm still apprehensive about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all just a little bit different because we're not sure what to expect with this Pacers current roster and, and how Bjorken wants to play with these guys, because I mean, we've been seeing what McMillan's been doing and it's been a lot of the same stuff regular season success did not carry over into the playoffs and it just felt like they were very consistent in what they did but almost a little too consistent a little too predictable and, and when they got challenged it was just 
they didn't really do a whole lot uh, of changing up things. They just felt like they had to execute better, which is one thing that McMillan constantly said when, when talking in interviews. And We didn't execute. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't execute. So, I mean, I, I like Nate McMillan as a person a lot. I'm really happy for him with his position at Atlanta, getting an assistant coaching job there. I think he'll do great there. Um, I did see today that his son will not be returning with New Orleans. And uh, it looks like Chris Finch could be on the move as well. So that's a name to keep an eye on for the Pacers if you're looking for another assistant coach, somebody they could look at. But they did hire Greg Foster. They've got Bill Baino. There's still no confirmation from what I've seen from Danny Manning. It was just more so that he was. Yeah, no, I haven't either. So it looks like they only have two coaches right now that they've that's been publicly reported, which would be Greg Foster and Bill Baino joining Nate Bjorkman's staff. So we'll, we're still trying to figure all that out. And I think a lot of that could play into, you know, how the Pacers try to play and how they try to grow and develop. But at the end of the day, Mark, I mean, when this team, this team right now is still a good team. It's still a playoff team. So you have yeah. a lot to be excited for as a, as a fan. There's no reason to be pessimistic about this season, even if they finish with the seventh seed. Yes, they might have regressed in a in sense of seeding wise, but the rest of the Eastern Conference got better. And it just depends on if the Pacers can still get better as well. So three to seven is where we see them at. I, I think there's a lot of potential on this roster, um, whether it's trades, whether it's just internal growth. Uh, for this team to to overachieve those seven seed uh, floor uh, seedings that we have them at. But I, I do want to ask you real quick before we get off here, the second round pick, they have the 54th overall pick. I've talked about it multiple times. They got a lot of other second round picks they could trade up for. Is there anybody in that second round, maybe at 54 that you'd like? I know you're doing some research. There's a couple guys on my radar, but like if you're looking at like a perfect pacer guy to draft in the second round, who comes to mind? Uh, man, that's a good question. Um, well, who, let me hear yours first. I do want to hear yours first. Oh man. Why do I got to go first? I'm copping out, man. This is, Hey, it's your show. So you have to do it first. Okay. Well I did, I did put on Twitter that I like a couple guys and I'm going to pull them up here real quick because I want to make sure I get all their stats and their intangibles, right. But hold on one second. One guy I will say that I didn't have, uh, I don't have much, much research on right now is I like Killian Tilly. From, from Gonzaga. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh, there's another white guy that can shoot threes. But, I mean, I think he's a little bit more polished than T.J. Leaf. He's done it for a longer sample size. I believe he got injured. Is that what happened? Did he get injured? Yeah, uh, so it's it's actually funny. He was the guy I was going to choose. I don't think he's going to be there at 54, though. Oh, yeah. And I think if he is there at 54, that's more based on how teams feel about his injury history and injury outlook. Um, I mean, he had uh, quite a few knee injuries uh, well, he was at, um, well, he was at Gonzaga. If he wasn't injury prone, he'd probably be a lottery talent in this draft. Like he's yeah. that good. Uh, he's That's... incredible offensively. He, and he's not a slouch defensively. He's got length. He's not a great athlete, but like, he's good enough to, to kind of at least play in space a little bit. Um, I need to watch more tape on him, but I haven't watched that much because I really don't expect him to be at 54 from the Pacers. Yeah. Uh, most of the mocks I'm seeing him at are probably high thirties. Uh, okay. He might go end of the first round considering how crazy this uh this draft could be okay so i'm gonna give you three names here my first one's elijah hughes which he is rising up draft boards from what i've been seeing when i first started kind of eyeing his name it was it was late 40s you know uh early 50s maybe but he's from syracuse he's six foot six 215 pounds 19 points a game he's a do-it-all wing who can score from anywhere um the other guard that i like is actually some of that we talked with uh Matt Babcock last week, Mason Jones from Arkansas, six foot five, 200 pounds, 22 points a game, shot 36% from three. Uh, and he's a, he's a nice wing that can get hot from outside. 
And then another guy, another guy that I like as well is Jalen Harris. Um, this is, uh, I believe he's from Nevada, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's from Nevada. He's actually, he's nice. I like him. Yeah, he shoots from three well, shot 36% on high volume attempts, averaged 6.5 rebounds per game, so he's not afraid to attack the glass. Uh, I saw a report that says he's uh, always in the right place, makes good decisions, and just has a natural feel of how to play the game. Not super explosive, so that's why he's more of a second-round prospect. But, I mean, when you see those intangibles and, and you're hoping to get kind of the Nick Nurse treatment from Napier Orkren, I mean, he seems kind of like a guy that could be a diamond in the rough that you go and take a risk on. And when it comes to the Pacers drafting at 54, that's what you're aiming for. You're not expecting them to be great. But, yeah, if, that, one of the, if he's there, I, I think that he's someone that I like. Yeah, no, I, I, I like all the names you mentioned. I, uh, I think the biggest thing for me, though, is this team has to draft somebody who's a combo forward, in my opinion. I don't really think that, like, if they just draft another 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six wing, um, what are we doing here? I mean, there's no playing time on the roster for somebody that size, in my opinion. Like, I mean, I guess you could make it work, but that team's, the team's already pretty small, and they've needed somebody who can be kind of a 3-4 and actually shoot. So, sorry, Thad, but... I mean, like somebody who you can count to shoot in the playoffs. Like, I think that's been a hole on the roster since 2017. Um, Why they drafted TJ Leaf, you know, I think that's what I'm looking at in this draft. Um, Obviously, you look at talent and upside as well, but I I think there are a handful of guys who, more than a handful of guys you could look at around 54, maybe guys that could even be undrafted free agents there. Um, I mean, I really like Najee Marshall uh, out of Xavier. He's not a great shooter yet. He did not shoot well from three in college. I think there's, you know, a path. I'm not a shot doctor by any means, but, you know, it's based off on his free throw shooting and um, ability to grow potentially as a shooter. I mean, I think he could be one. I believe he was a three-year player at Xavier. Um, really smart defender. Uh, and he also does a lot of stuff where he can run. He can run some, he can run some actions. He's got a decent handle. He's a smart passer. Um, I just like him as a guy who could be a role player, that could kind of build with the Pacers and you're not going to expect them to step into a starting role, but th- this team doesn't really need somebody who's going to step into a starting role. A, cause they're not, you know, they're not drafting in the top 10 where you're trying to get a star guy. Um, I think you're trying to find guys who can develop into competent role players in the second round. And I, I think I, I would love to go over more guys. I'll tell you about them off air, but I, I do have to save some for uh, for my draft piece I'm working on next week. What about Reggie Perry? Is he somebody on your board? Uh, isn't he more, he's more of like a center, the guy out of Mississippi state. Yeah. They said he's a, a wing from, from our, like our power forward here, uh, six foot nine, two thirty nine. Uh, his, uh, his pro comp is a poor man's bam. <laughs> I don't, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't seen much on him. I, I, anything I've watched on Mississippi state has been Robert Woodard, who I actually, yeah. I, I like quite a bit. Yeah. This says he's a, an aggressive power forward who plays with an edge, uh, broad-shouldered and strong with good body control, has a much improved offensive game. So, I mean, he can't as shoot, I, though, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so he's kind of like a Montrezl Harrell is what it kind of sounds like. So that's, in my opinion, that's like the complete opposite of what this team needs. Right. As much as I like Mont, I, I don't actually like Montrezl Harrell that much. Seems like a nice dude, not my favorite kind of player. I think he's going to get super overpaid this summer, but uh, not summer, winter. You know what I mean. But I got you. You said summer earlier and didn't catch yourself, and I was laughing because you've been catching yourself every time you say it. I just I let know, it. Get, I just let it roll, me, man. <laughs> but no, I uh, think Kelly Antilly is actually like the perfect fit. <laughs> like yeah, when I, I was looking at, drop. yeah, I just I've seen him kind of all over the place on different boards that I've looked at. But everybody's got a mock draft board out there, so you're just kind of throwing darts at it. But 
Killian Tilly, I mean, this draft, I mean, I still think it's pretty deep. I don't think it's like – It is. No, definitely. I don't think it's great, but I see some of these players, and I'm like, you see some of the things they can do. I mean, this is NBA role player stuff, and, like, if you can just get, like, Killian Tilly because he's, he's able to play the four and the five. So if you do move on, let's say, from Turner, you know, for example, let's just say you move on from him and you go out and get a small forward to start in that starting lineup with Oladipo, Brogdon, Warren, and Sabonis. If you had Killian Tilly that you got in the second round, whether you trade up for him or draft him at 54 if he falls for some reason or he goes undrafted, you sign him, you know, you still want to play Goga, but if, if Goga gets injured or something like that, Killian Tilly is someone that's had enough reps in college that you would feel a little bit more comfortable at playing in that backup center position on a cheap contract than, than trying to kind of force feed, go out there and sign a veteran center that could get in the way of Goga's development. That's kind of what my thinking is on everything. So that's why I like a player that's a little bit versatile, can play the five and the four. And, I mean, just the ability to shoot from three is, is just a great thing the Pacers could really use. Yeah, no, most definitely. So, all right, Mark. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our conversation. We've kind of milked out everything we can out of this cow right here talking about this Pacers team going forward and stuff. And as we get more news, you know, maybe next week we can come back on and really give a nice draft preview, just kind of catch up on all the rumors that's been going on. Maybe we can do that like on a, on a Tuesday night or something like that and just see what's out there uh, going on for the Pacers. Or maybe we can do a draft recap one. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of things going on, but we're just 10 days away from the draft. It's pretty wild. I know, man. I'm uh, still trying to get everything down before then, but uh, we'll make it happen. Yeah. And yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to do that. We'll have to come on. Let's just plan on doing it like Wednesday night or Thursday uh, afternoon if we if we have time to come on here and just really talk about this draft and see if there's any moves that happen because I feel like there's going to be some moves. I don't know how many, but there will be trades. and It'll be fun to talk about. And, uh, yeah, so, Mark, you said you had a uh, podcast with uh, iPacers blog writer Derek. So that is awesome. That's out on your uh, Indie Corners podcast feed. I know there's a lot of other podcasts out there that you've done. You did one with Mark Monteith as well. So you are just staying busy, bro. Yeah, no, I have uh, another one. Mark and I are doing a five-episode series, uh, another one dropping tomorrow morning. Um, that, that'll be a really good listen. Uh, I think even better than the last, so definitely check out for that. Um, I have how many? I think I have four and potentially five draft-related pods coming out in the next week. Um, so definitely, if you're trying to get Pacers, uh, Pacers draft coverage, I have that coming up. Um, so yeah, got a lot of exciting things going on. Awesome. Well, we are going to take a quick break and joining me next in the next segment will be the one and only David Grubb as we're going to talk a little bit about Drew Holiday and why David thinks that the Indiana Pacers might have some pieces that really make a lot of sense for the, for the New Orleans Pelicans and, and, a, and a Drew swap. So we'll be right back after these messages. All right, everybody, we're back, and we are going to be talking right now with David Grubb. He is the host of the Heart in the Paint podcast and also a writer at the Bird Rights. We're going to talk some Drew Holiday. So, David, what's going on, man? Just um, kind of trying to figure out how much stuff we're going to have to process in such a short amount of time with the season coming up so quickly. So, you know, we're doing free, talking free agency. We're getting ready for the draft. And then camps in just, what, 23 days yeah so it's like, it's just so much to do I mean I'm glad the NBA is back and this is what we live for in a lot of ways but man it's a lot to cram it's like finals week oh I know it's crazy I mean we're 10 days away from the NBA draft which seems like it's taken forever to get to but pretty much once the NBA draft is over with 
we're, we're pretty much gearing up for the NBA season and we're not even including all of the free agency and all the trades and all that. So it's going to be a crazy year. I'm not even sure like what to expect because it's going to be so crazy. I've heard a lot of things out there that the trade market's going to be really high because there's not a lot of cap space and the teams that have it aren't very good. So it's like, they don't have a lot to offer and cap relief and they don't want to do that. So, you know, it's just, it's just a hot mess right now, but you know, last week, Sham Sharani comes out and says the Pelicans are shopping Drew Holiday, which I don't think was a surprise to anybody, but I guess my first question is, were you surprised by this news? No, um, it's reached that point where, you know, it's the inflection point you have this season with Drew. And then he, of course, he has his player option for next year. He's 30 years old. Um, and you have to look at, you know, everything in the NBA is about timetables because mm-hmm. windows close so quickly now because players aren't signing six, seven year deals with their same teams anymore. You're seeing a lot more four year, five year deals out of superstars. So rebuilding your team on the fly is really important. And when you have a superstar who is as young as Zion Williamson is, when you have a core that's relatively young as the Pelicans do committing 25 to 40% of your cap to a player over 30 going forward is something that the Pelicans have to seriously think about amongst themselves. And I think also for Drew, you get to a certain point in your career where you, you want to get on the bigger stage, however that is, whether it's a bigger stage in the playoffs or a bigger stage as far as the team profile. Um, And Drew has been widely considered one of the most underrated players in the league for a number of years. So I think that there's also an understanding between the two that this will be an amicable process and that if ultimately they do find the right deal, the Pelicans don't have a problem pulling the trigger. And I think Drew um, is good if it's the right destination. So um, I wasn't surprised. I think these were calls that the Pelicans were going to take. And um, I don't think that they're in a rush but at the same time, I don't think that they're scared to listen. So my guess uh, from that comment would be that they would wait until the trade deadline, or do you think they want to make a move before the deadline? Yeah, they're, they're, I see it both ways. I can understand the logic in doing it both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you trade Drew now, you do give yourself that time to get acclimated uh, before the season with whomever you bring back, um, start teaching them the Van Gundy principles, and try to start the season with some sense of, you know, this is our group. If you keep Drew, you run the risk of two things. Uh, if the season starts really badly, you may diminish your value mm-hmm. for Drew. Uh, if the season starts really well, you're under the pressure to, by the fans, um, to extend him. And I don't think anybody wants to be in that position. So, uh, I think it's it's more likely that they try to hope that, okay, we see what this looks like. Um, we want to give Van Gundy an opportunity to see what our team could have been last year um, if they were healthy and then evaluate Drew. But at the same time, the three holes that are on this roster need to be addressed. And I think the Pelicans could survive the loss of Drew Holiday more than they could – um, survive not filling those holes. Gotcha. And that makes sense. So I'm curious, you know, obviously Drew's name has been floating around there for, I mean, even going back to last year a little bit. And then this year, of course, uh, with the recent news, but before that, I mean, there were still some talks about teams showing interest in him. I believe George Carl 
said he would trade MPJ for him. So um, I'm just curious, though, your thoughts. Like, what have you seen around the league or as far as, I guess, Twitter? What have you seen out there that, like, interests you or, like, something you think the Pelicans might want in return for Drew? It's really hard to gauge Drew's value because if you're talking about contending teams, you have to look at that, at that two-guard spot and, and what do they have and what do they want. Um, and so I look at teams, let's say if you're the Pelicans, you don't want to have to keep playing Drew Holiday every year and have him be an impediment to uh, you getting to the level that you expect this franchise to do. So let's, if you're saying you move him to the East, how many teams are viable for you to trade him to in the East? Um, is a Toronto willing to give up OJ Anunoby, um and something else? Is Philadelphia going to give you something up front that you could afford. And I don't think that they have the kind of pieces up front that you'd want. Um, so you kind of limited Brooklyn uh, is a team that's often linked with the Pelicans. And I see some of the pieces working, but I, as much as I love a Karis Levert, I don't know if he fits with what the Pelicans want to do. Um, mm-hmm. A Jared Allen is kind of a redundancy piece, unless you're planning on giving up Jackson Hayes. Uh, so there's a, you know, the, the Eastern market for teams that have a legitimate chance to get to the finals is really, you know, limited to in Indiana, um, to me, Indiana, Toronto, which I think that, you know, could make that deal. Um, and then I think also Boston could be an interesting target if they were willing to include uh, Marcus Smart um, and a pick. But again, with the, with the Celtics, you never know because they've been hoarding these picks for so long and they're in desperate need of a big. So it just, it's, it's, there's so many awkward fits that it just sometimes feels like you have to see what's going to go on in the regular season and how teams start to shake out and what their level of desperation is or their level of um, confidence is that they can make the finals and that holiday would be the last piece. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's an interesting team. I didn't even think about him going to Boston. I mean, I think the teams I've constantly been hearing are Denver, a little bit of Dallas sprinkled in there. Um, and of course, uh, Brooklyn as well. And then of course, Pacer fans here, have, you know, always linked Drew Holiday going back to last year when we talked about the point guard chronicles and, you know, you know, why Drew makes sense. And we had talked about a, a Turner for holiday swap last season. And then, you know, this year we got both Aaron and Justin Holiday on the Pacers roster. So now everyone's like, hey, let's add a third holiday. Let's just go for all the holiday brothers. So um, I'm just curious. So you mentioned the Pacers. When you're looking at this roster, is there a piece or a couple pieces that you think that the Pelicans would want in return to get Drew? Or do you think that that one piece, a, a.k.a. Miles Turner, would be enough? It starts and ends with Miles Turner. If that's not part of the deal, it doesn't work. You know, there's, yeah. you know, I've seen people say, well, maybe it, you, you try to get a Victor Oladipo back, but I don't, that doesn't make sense to me because Oladipo is giving you essentially a more injury prone, less effective individual defender than Drew Holiday. Yeah. So, you know, what are you trading for in that and the contract? you're taking on way too much salary at that position. You're trying to, if you're getting rid of Drew, you're trying to unload that salary. You don't want to have 20 plus million and then have to renegotiate with Victor Oladipo, who's still only really a year younger than Drew Holiday, like a little bit more than a year younger. So it's not that you don't have much upside there either. We've pretty much seen the ceiling for Victor Oladipo. With a Miles Turner, I understand what people are looking at. You know, the Pelicans, if they don't resign Derek Favors, who they have the bird rights to, 
um, and at a lower salary. I don't see these favors getting $15 million on this market. Um, but at a $9 million uh, contract, then, you know, Turner certainly gives you that perimeter ability. He's also a good shot blocker. He's an efficient scorer. And I think that he could thrive with a Jeff Van Gundy. I mean, a Stan Van Gundy, um, because Van Gundy has always done well with bigs. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the trouble for me is that second piece to make it match yeah. because the salary gap is still a little too high. So when you start looking at it, the Pacers don't really have something attractive that they, that they would be willing to give away as a backup point guard. Um, and then the other position would be um, a small forward on the wing who could defend. Well, the best wing defenders that the Pacers have, and they're not going to give away, especially if one of them is Justin Holiday, who's Drew's brother. <laughs> so um, it's figuring out what that last piece would be. Maybe that's the draft pick this year and taking that player and sending him to the Pelicans. Um, but for Pelicans fans, it's going to start and end with Miles Turner. Yeah, so unfortunately the Pacers traded away their pick this year in the right. sign-in trade for Malcolm Brogdon. So they don't have a pick this year. And, I mean, I think a lot of people always want to throw out, hey, Doug McDermott and Miles Turner equals the money. And so that's kind of been like, you know, because McDermott's a really good shooter, which I think would help New Orleans be able to maybe move off of J.J. Redick. Or, yeah, Nico Melli too, maybe. But I just say Redick because, he's you know, he's got a good salary cap number. And yeah. maybe get something that makes more sense uh, that fits your team long term. That's kind of my thinking. And then McDermott's an expiring, so you don't have to worry about his extra money on the books for next season. And I don't know what his market's going to be like next season, but I can't imagine it being more than seven, eight, nine uh, million dollars a year going forward. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense there. But then, I, then a lot of times you hear Pelicans fans say, "Well, I think that Drew Holiday for Miles Turner and Doug McDermott's not enough." So I think Pelicans fans overrate Drew's value in that regard. Okay. Because that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, well, I, when I, we were kind of uh, doing a little mock GM talk here when I was uh, doing my Pacers podcast on Thursday with Mark Schindler, what we were doing is I was like, all right, you be uh, David Griffin. I'll be Kevin Pritchard. And it was kind of funny because it was like, we were going back and forth and I, and I came out with Turner and uh, McDermott and he was okay with that. At first I offered Turner and Lamb, you know, because Lamb's injured, he's only got one year left after this, but my counter back to what he was saying for Drew, I was like, well, he's got a player option next year. He could walk away for nothing. You got Turner for three years and he's like six years younger. That's to me is the big difference here with why the Pacers might want to hold on to Aaron Holiday, who is probably their most valuable young piece they have on the bench to throw into a trade to be a sweetener um, right now. So that's kind of where I'm stuck on it, but I'm just curious. I mean, that's, that's why I'm curious. Do you think that McDermott and Turner straight up, for Drew Holiday would be a good enough deal for you. I like McDermott, um, and I, I have liked his game for a few years. I think he's, you know, a better player than people want to give him credit for. I don't think he's as one-dimensional as people want to call him. Um, I like him, and and quite frankly, I wasn't satisfied with Nicola Melli's performance last year. I thought his signing was a mistake. They signed him in favor of retaining Christian Wood, who we all saw uh, turn into a very formidable reserve player this season. Um McDermott's consistency and like you said the the fact that you don't make a long-term commitment to him um, you can bring him as as an expiring when you also as the Pelicans are looking at the prospect of signing Lonzo Ball long-term which is going to cost you and you're about to give the max to Brandon Ingram 
Um, and then you also have to re-sign Josh Hart, who's going to elicit a number of offers around the league because who doesn't want a 6'5 guard who can rebound, uh, get seven boards a game, shoot 35% from three and defend. So, uh, you know, he's one of those players that's going to be in demand. He's going to cost you 10 plus million per year for him. So, yeah, you don't make a long-term commitment. You get steady shooting. You get a veteran um, in McDermott. Um, I like that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I know Pelicans fans again. They, I think they overvalue Drew in that regard. And I have to keep telling them he's only made one All Star game in his career. He's only made a couple of All Defensive teams. And you could say that's because of the media and underrating. But, uh, but this is what GMs do. They're yeah. going to nitpick and, and chip away at value to get what they can out of this. So I understand if I'm if I'm a GM in any team, I'm going to as much as I want Drew. I it's my job to poke holes in your case for value. And and I think that to get a young Miles Turner on the timeline with your other stars, yeah, that value alone and getting a Doug McDermott, it makes it would make sense to me. I'd be more than uh, okay with that deal. Yeah, and I think a lot of Pacer fans would be okay if that was just the deal. I guess the only conundrum you have here is how does a Brogdon, Oladipo, Drew Holiday backcourt work? Are they too small in your opinion? I think that that means Oladipo would have to be moved. Yeah, well, which, um, which is which is part of my reason that I think the Pacers might not even go after Drew because if they feel like Oladipo's value is super low, so they don't want a disgruntled guy in there for this new coach's Nate Bjorgren's first year as the head coach. They're in a contract year, and if they really think Oladipo can get back to form, would you know bringing in Drew Holiday upset him? I think that that's something that's worth debating. Yeah, um, and the question is, how happy is Oladipo anyway? Well, that's true too. <laughs> you know, because you know we, there was all the the rumors in the bubble about him communicating with Miami, and you know I'm sure conversations happened between a lot of players um, in the bubble. You had plenty of time to talk to people. Um, and, and certainly, the, the thing for Victor Oladipo is, what do you want to be at this point in your career, man? You know, you, you, do you want to go to your, what, fourth team? You know, I mean, is that what you want to do at this stage in your career? And I don't even think if, I, if I'm Miami, he doesn't fit there to me. Mm-mm. Why would you get somebody else who's so similar to Jimmy Butler? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why I don't buy the Drew to, to Miami talk either, because I just don't think he fits what they're asking, what they would want. Mm-hmm. Um, to do so, you know, I think if you bring him to to Indiana, I think he's an upgrade over Oladipo, and you'd have to play him more minutes than Oladipo. And yeah, you you you're certainly going to alienate him. So who out there is willing to to make that trade today for Victor Oladipo, and what are you going to get in return for him? Yeah, I, I think his value right now is low. He didn't show enough for you to get what you would ordinarily get for someone with his experience and talent. Yeah, so I kind of came up with the three-team trade idea between the Pacers, the Pelicans, and the Nets because I feel like there's a lot of pieces that could be moved there to get a deal done. So here's what I came up with, and I'm curious your thoughts. Um, going to the Pelicans is Spencer Dinwiddie and Miles Turner. Going to the Nets is Victor Ladipo and TJ McConnell. And then the Pacers are getting Drew Holiday and Torian Prince. I really like that. I yeah. really like that deal. Because Spencer Dinwiddie is somebody um, who can come in and play either the point or the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan Van already said that he likes Lonzo off ball in the half court, um, which gives – and Dinwiddie is certainly able to orchestrate an offense. Um, so 
I like that. And him at the top of the key orchestrating is a better fit than what Drew Holiday would be for the Pelicans. And then, of course, we've already talked about Turner's fit. And I think for your, for, to get Torian Prince as a physical defender on the wing, um, to go, go with Warren and, and Sabonis, that's a very good front court. And then to have Holiday's flexibility as a defender as well, the switch, if, you know, if you have to switch, you feel comfortable. You have the length. You have uh, some physicality because even Prince can slide down to a four in a small ball lineup. Um, yeah, I think that that works for everybody because in, in Brooklyn then, with TJ McConnell, you get a guy who's going to be steady. He doesn't turn the basketball over. He's not going to be fighting with Kyrie for minutes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There's no tension there. He fits in with that group, I think. And um, he's a guy who's played on teams that have gotten deep into the playoffs and teams that have struggled as well. I think he's a pro. And Brooklyn is certainly going to need pros this year because I think there's going to be a certain edge of uncertainty for at least the first half of the season with that team as everybody tries to figure it out. So I like those fits. Yeah, and I mean, I think Vic going to the Nets gives them that third star. They don't have to give up a, a Levert for him or a Jared Allen. They can keep those guys on their bench or however they want to play their, you know, their rotation, but they still have those two valuable pieces, and they only have to give up one who I believe Spencer Dinwiddie is a free agent or has a player option next season. So he could opt out, and I think that he's actually on the trade market as well. Now, I guess my only question is because I don't see Torian Prince as a positive player, He's making $13.9 million over the next two years. Um, would, would the Pelicans be willing to part with pick number 13? You know, you get reports that the Pelicans want to move up in this draft, so it seems that there's one player that they've identified. Um, just as we saw last year is they, you know, didn't value number five as much as getting, um, you know, the two picks that they got in the draft they were really targeting Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So I wonder, yeah, this year's pick, um, maybe not, even though I'm not really in love with this draft. Yeah. Um, I, would, I wouldn't I would mind giving that up to get – because the Pelicans have, a, have so many picks, mm-hmm. you know, over the next few years to come between what they got with the Lakers and what they already have themselves and all these second-round picks that they have and some compensatory picks that are still coming their way. Um, they don't need to get younger. That's, That's not what, what this I team feel. needs. So I, I, I would, I think if you're getting Dinwiddie and Turner, you've already won your draft for this year. Cause even if you only keep one of them of the two at the salary that you're getting them at and the performance level that you would expect, you're an, you would, you're already considered a playoff contender now, mm-hmm. but I think you put yourself right there in the mix for maybe a fifth seed in as high as a fifth seed in the West. If you add those two and for the NBA and for the Pelicans, this year has to be a winner. The NBA is not going to go two years with Zion Williamson out of the playoffs. And the uh, the Pelicans fans certainly aren't going to be happy. If you go through this process again, a lot of them think that they should have just cut bait with Alvin Gentry last year and moved on. So you get Stan Van Gundy, and if they don't make the playoffs this season, what happens to the national narrative as we know? It already starts to be how, how quickly is it before Zion asks out? Yeah, yeah. and we don't want to hear about that for a while because it's already frustrating enough to hear it about Giannis after he wins back-to-back MVP seasons. It's just like it's over the top, overkill. And with the Pacers, you know, they're just in a weird spot because, like, Oladipo's value is not high. So I can't really see, like, Brooklyn wanting to part with anything else more than Dinwiddie. 
Now they do get Vic because I think Vic's upside could be higher than Dinwiddie if he does come back healthy. They get a solid vet and DJ McConnell off the bench, and they kind of shed that Torian Prince contract, which I don't think they love. I mean, $14 million for the next two years is not the most enticing, even though no. I don't think Torian Prince is that great. I mean, he is a nice trade filler if they were trying to do something along those lines and not give up both Dinwiddie and, you know, Levert, which is kind of what I'm doing here. And so I think, like, with Indiana, they're taking on that salary of Prince. I mean, I don't even think he would start. I think they probably start um, – they'd probably start TJ Warren at the four and then figure out what to do with the three. And maybe that's, you know, Justin holiday or something like that. I mean, just try to figure it out because I don't think Prince would make the most sense with the way this team is going, but I think he could be a solid bench player backup four. And that's why I think that that first round pick from new Orleans at 13, even though they're getting drew holiday in return, I just think with the Pelicans, you know, getting off Drew's expiring for three more years of Turner and one year of Dinwiddie, that to me seems like a fair value to, to, to part ways with that 13th overall pick. Yeah. And, and even yeah, um, Tory Prince is certainly overpaid, but you still get a guy who's a, what? 36% three point shooter for his career and can, you know, can do some things for you. So yeah. there's a night where he can give you 20 plus, you know, and, and he's, he's not going to embarrass you. He's just overpaid. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's a, a, a good piece and maybe also a piece that the, the patients could flip later on to somebody who's a contender who says, I got some space. We got some stuff to dump. You know, we need another wing due to injury. And that could happen this year very easily because we could still see COVID cases, um, you know, certainly as the season begins. We will see them since we don't have a bubble um, when the regular season. I, I would assume um, that we're going to see somebody at some point. So, um, you know, teams may need uh, uh, another wing, and he could certainly fill that role and take that salary off and be flipped again for, you know, a pick for the Pacers. So I think everybody wins in that deal. They get enough of what they need. And I think Oladipo as a third player in Brooklyn was still with – and if they retain Karis LeVert, I mean, again, they have plenty of options in there to score. They have guys who can defend because you're going to have to defend with Kevin Durant not being – I just don't see him being as mobile a defender. I think he's going to probably end up playing more four than three as he goes forward in his career. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think everybody wins in that deal. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I know the Pacer fans don't want to see Turner and Oladipo both gone in, in this trade and only get Drew Holiday back. But it's just – it's one of those things where it's like, I don't understand. I don't know if Oladipo's value is going to be much greater um, even once he plays this year, because it's going to be a lot of, I mean, it could be, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's not going to get worse unless he re-injures himself, which I don't anticipate happening, but it's just, there's weird vibes and the Pacers have been really quiet this off season. They've been very tight lipped. Now they did, they didn't make some, you know, normal PR statements when they introduced their coach and stuff like that about keeping Turner and Sabonis together. And Oladipo has already texted the coach and stuff like that. But to me, it just feels like there's something brewing behind the scenes, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know the Pacers um, have been, you know, ca- making calls and, and trying to get into the first round of this year's draft and in the teen range as well. So that's sort of why I thought maybe there's something there with the Pelicans. And I think you have so much, you know, the core of the Pacers is solid. If you, with Brogdon, Holiday, Warren, um, and Sabonis, if that's your 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 four – um, centerpieces as you go forward, you have a good, they're all still relatively young. Mm-hmm. They're 
um, they fit together and you can build that group together. It's, it's, you've, you've plateaued at a certain point and that's what this team has done. It's plateaued for a number of reasons. It's not been fully healthy for the last couple of playoff runs. We know that, but when you reach that plateau, I don't think you keep running it back three years in a row. Right. At some point you've got to make a change and you haven't been able to count on Oladipo for two consecutive seasons. So as much as you may like him and as much as he's a hometown hero and, and all those things, I get it. And PR-wise, people get attached. But ultimately, what's the goal? If the goal is to win a championship for any of these teams involved, then you need to find pieces that are really going to take you to the next level. And I don't even think, you know, a fully healthy Victor Oladipo, does he make Indiana one of the top three teams in the East? I don't think he does. Yeah, that's that's the problem. We've talked about it several times on this show. It's like they don't have that superstar on their on their team. They've got really good players. They've got a couple of all-stars or guys that have made all-star appearances. But when you're talking top 30 players in the NBA, I mean, there's an argument that Domas is in the top 30, but more than likely he's probably like in the 30 to 35 range. And if he's their best player, you know, you got to win with depth in this situation. You've got to get guys that are all in that 30 to 50 30 to 60 range to fill out your top six or seven in the league to try to really compete with these upper echelon teams in the entire NBA, not just the East, but I mean, Brooklyn's going to get better. We know Boston's not going anywhere. Toronto, they're in a weird situation because we don't know where their free agency is going, but if they retain their team like they had last year, they're going to be really tough. Milwaukee's still good with Giannis. And then of course, Miami, they came out of nowhere this year. So, I mean, it's just one of those leagues where, you know, you just don't really know, Um, what's going to happen, but the Pacers on paper, they just don't have enough right now to really challenge those teams and and feel like a serious contender. Yeah. And, and I think in your, in the backcourt in particular is where you want to add some of that, you know, the backcourt is very young with holiday, what going into, is he going to year three? Yeah, this is third year. This would be his third season. and, And Malcolm Brogdon is taking the leap. I mean, you see it like, and if Milwaukee, and you know, everybody in Milwaukee is just like, why? Why did you choose Bledsoe over Brogdon? Why, <laughs> why, why? Because um, you see it. You see his development continuing to be one of the, you know, better guards in this league. So the pieces are very solid. It just takes that one hit. And in a small market, whether it's Denver, Utah, Indiana, New Orleans, and most of the league is small markets. I just, I don't really like the conversation when people talk about big market versus small market, because it's typically what they really mean is LA versus everybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's LA versus everybody else because Miami's a big market. Let's not pretend it's not. Atlanta's a big market. Chicago's a big market. And none of those teams are successful. You know what I mean? They haven't drawn free agents. Mm-hmm. It's, it's LA. So, you know, when you look at the rest of the teams in the league, yeah, you, you need that one player. But watching Denver and what it did, watching Miami and what it did, Jimmy Butler's a, maybe a third-team All-NBA player, you know? He's not a first- or second-team guy, but he's – and he wasn't even their leading scorer through most of the playoffs. That was Goran Dragic, um, Tyler Hero growing up, uh, you know, Bam Adebayo growing up. So you can build a very good team that's the sum of its – that exceeds the sum of its parts – but you also have to realize when it's time to cut bait, you can't keep throwing money when you're, when you're in these marketplaces at certain contracts. At, one, at some point, the value is diminishing. And I think you've, the, the Pelicans have reached that with Drew Holiday. They got the most out of him for them. And now maybe somebody else over two or three years can get their value. I think it's the same for the Pacers of Victor Oladipo. You got what you were going to get. It's never going to get better than what he peaked at. 
So why look forward and keep paying 20 plus million when at, now it's mathematically diminishing returns? Yeah, now that's, all, that's all great points. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes you just have to swallow hard, look in the mirror and just accept some of the facts that you know, are, are true about your team, even though it does get frustrating when, when you have a favorite player and you're a fan of a team and you see them in trade, trade rumors and trade ideas and you're like, I don't want to lose my favorite player. But at the end of the day, I mean, the Pacers front office and, and every front office, they're, they're competing to win a championship and, you know, they're, they're trying their best to save their jobs and not get fired, which is a very hard thing to do in this league. As you saw, we had like, what was it, eight or nine coaches fired throughout this last year. So right. pretty, pretty insane stuff. And uh, unfortunately, coaches usually are the fall guy. But, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. I, I, I'm, a, I'm just so torn because I feel like half the Pelicans people I talk to are, uh, you know, don't think Indiana has enough. And every time I talk with you, I mean, I think you are super high on Turner. And, and that fit with Zion, which I think would be really fun to see Miles without another center next to him in the starting lineup. And um, but yeah, I mean, I think him and Zion could be really fun together. Yeah, because I think the the main thing is is Zion is not ready to play center, and he's not ready to play NBA defense. He was an, a terrible defender last season, and the Pelicans don't have a ton of length. So you know, Turner fits the bill. He can he he is a rim protector. Um, and that athleticism is, is going to serve them so well. And I think Jackson Hayes is still two or three. It takes bigs a while to develop. So to get a guy like Turner, who at 24 has a plenty of experience in the league um, already and has played big minutes in big games. Yeah, that to me, I don't see why the Pelicans, you're not going to find better on the market this year. And you're not going to find it in the big man market in the next two years, looking at who's coming up on free agency. I mean, look at, are you going to pay 17 million for Hassan Whiteside? No, no. Heavens no. <laughs> so, I mean, this is to me, Turner's in, in today's market. It's a deal. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a quality deal. I agree. I agree. So real quick, where can people find you at on Twitter and what do you have coming out for your podcast and for the bird rights? Um, so actually for the bird rights, we're going to be doing a whole series on holiday breakdowns, um, pairing them up two teams at a time. And um, so that's coming and folks can check that out. Um, and for myself, you can follow me on Twitter at DM Grub, um, both Twitter and Instagram. You can check my website, HITPwithDG.com. And this week on the podcast, uh, Kenny Anderson will be oh, on Thursday. Nice. So um, the legend, the point guard, uh, former, former Indiana Pacer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Kenny Anderson will be on this week. Um, and, and that should be really exciting. We're doing a draft preview tomorrow on the show. Wednesday is always the saints. Um, Tuesday we'll talk about LSU and um, Bama coming up this weekend. LSU's going to get murdered, but you know, so we do a lot and uh, we've had some great guests and um, from all different walks of life, Lisa Ann was on our show last yes, week. Yes. I saw that's awesome. So yeah, we we have uh, it's it's been a lot of fun and and the pod is growing. So if you can check it out, it's on every platform. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us, and hope you uh, can get back to the rest of your Sunday afternoon enjoying time with your daughter. <laughs> yes, man. And anytime you need me, you know you got me. All right, man. We'll talk to you uh, maybe later if the Pacers do make this trade. But that's David Grubb. Make sure you guys go follow him on Twitter. We'll we'll be right back, Pacers fans. All right, everybody. That does it for the final. Show until Tuesday when Mike Focci will join me as we will talk all things Indiana Pacers. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Let's go Pacers, everybody. Peace out, Pacer Nation.
Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials. One device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.